Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest talk. And this is going to be on calocele abnormalities in the kidneys, some pearls, and pitfalls. And Satomi Kawamoto did an amazing exhibit on this this past RSNA. And this will include some of our material and a lot of what she's done. And her article is coming out of Radiographic, so you can look at and see it there and get all the details. So we all do lots of CTRography. It's one of the key components of evaluation of hematuria. It's also the fact is that we always do that as part of a renal study. You need to have excretory phase to exclude many pathologies, including transitional cell carcinoma. And we know that renal papillary and calocele lesions can cause hematuria, and it can be difficult to see and, in fact, very easy to miss on CT scanning. The excretory phase becomes very, very critical. We like to use 3D imaging. Here's a nice example of showing you compound and simple calyces, major and minor calyces, the renal pelvis and infidibulum. And we talk about the appearance of compound and single calyces. We also make the point that it's important to do a wide window. If not, it's very hard to see these structures. Also, we make the point that if the images are too dense, like you wait too long, uh, we have lots of artifact and you'll miss these findings and so we do about a five minute delay. This is a nice example of showing you uh, a prominent normal papilla and um, the importance of being able to view it on several different uh, frames or different um, coronal and sagittal type views makes it very easy. We also know that it varies between patient the degree of normal papillary blush. So you want to be very careful not to call that an abnormality. Normal papillary blush is accentuated with low osmolar contrast agents. Uh, and you want to be very careful not to call that pathology because it's just normal. We also talk about benign tubular ectasia. And what you can see is linear paintbrush-like collections of contrast in dilated collecting ducts in the renal pyramids. Again, wide windows make it very easy to see. MIP imaging is indeed very helpful as well. And you have to recognize that this is going to be a benign finding, though I will admit, when you look at it, sometimes it's very hard to differentiate that from medullary sponge kidney. Now, benign tubulectasia, as we said, was an isolated finding of linear contrast collections while sponge kidney is associated with urolithiasis or medullary calcinosis. So in order to call it a medullary sponge kidney, you need to have those calcifications. Again, this paintbrush-like appearance. And again, whether or not you have stone disease becomes very important. And these are commonly bilateral. Nice example of sponge kidney. You see the non-contrast studies, multiple bilateral calcifications. And then on the, on the uh, contrast-enhanced scans, you see the duplicated system on the left. You also see accumulation of contrast within the cystically dilated collecting ducts that do not contain calculi. Medullary sponge kidney is an idiopathic dilatation of the collecting ducts, ducts resulting in urinary stasis and therefore commonly gets stone formation. It's associated with a number of conditions like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome, and Corolli's disease. Another example of medullary sponge kidney, very nice example in a patient with a history of Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome, a very nice example showing you that appearance. Now, with medullary nephrocalcinosis, 
the deposition of calcium salts is in the medulla, and some of the common causes, hyperparathyroidism is the most common cause in adults, medullary sponge kidney, renal tubular acidosis type 1, and other conditions with hypercalcemia and hypercalciuric states, uh, which can lead to papillary necrosis. Nephrocalcinosis is the formation of dystrophic calcifications within the parenchyma, and urolithiasis is stones within the lumen of the urinary tract. And again, we all know that there's a significant overlap between nephrocalcinosis and urolithiasis. A um, good example here of medullary nephrocalcinosis. Uh, we mentioned parathyroid carcinoma is less than 1% of all causes of hyperparathyroidism, but it is the classic presentation, very nicely shown here. And here's just an example of medullary nephrocalcinosis. A very, very impressive CT appearance. Again, look at both the non-contrast and the contrast scans. Uh, renal tubular acidosis type 1. Uh, it, when you see massive medullary nephrocalcinosis, it's usually the cause. Now, these findings like um, renal tubular acidosis are indeed very rare. When we think about things that involve the renal pelvis and collecting systems, we're typically thinking about urethelial neoplasms like transitional cell carcinomas. We think about them, but there's still only about 5% of urethelial tumors. The assessment of the entire urethelium is essential before treatment because of its multicentric nature. 2% of patients with bladder cancer have synchronous upper tract urethelial carcinomas. 6% of patients with bladder cancer will have metachronous upper tract urethelial carcinomas. And 40% of patients with upper tract urethelial cancer will also have bladder cancer. So when you're evaluating these patients, it's very important to look everywhere and look very carefully. Seeing one mass is not enough. You've got to keep looking. When you talk about urethelial neoplasms, we talk about focal masses, we talk about thickening with luminal narrowing, and we talk about an infiltrating mass. And so here's a nice example of a mass. Uh, you can see in this case from the multiple reconstructions, the calocele distortion, the mass is relatively hypovascular, involve the calices to the lower pole of the patient's uh, right kidney. Or in this case, with multifocal urethelial carcinoma, where you can see carefully on the multiple axial images the infiltration around the calyces, and it's particularly well seen on the coronal view with MIP imaging showing you both upper, mid, and lower portions of the kidneys are involved. So very, very important. I mentioned to you medullary nephrocalcinosis before, and I'm just going to show you another example because I wanted to show you just the difference why you're not going to have a problem confusing this or this case with uh, transitional cell carcinoma. Obviously, things look significantly different. Now, when you're looking at the calyces, one thing you always need to look for is papillary necrosis. The renal medulla and papilla are vulnerable to ischemic changes because of the unique arrangement of their blood supply and the local interstitial hypertonicity. Risk factors, we think about diabetes, analgesic abuse, high-dose uh, non-steroidal inflammatory drugs, sickle cell is very classic, chronic infection like with TB, and there are other causes as well. Now, the severity and extent and progression will be very variable. Sometimes patients present with hematuria, but not always. This is a very nice series of diagrams showing you the normal calyces, the progression to a reversible ischemic disease, then sloughing of the papilla, 
and you can see blunting of the calyces and just deformity and that's the point of no return the central erosion of the papilla uh, with a ball and tree appearance often people talk about a golf ball a, a golf appearance uh, we talk about other types papillary type lobster claw I'm never big on these definitions lobsters and ball on trees but nevertheless it's that deformity that you need to be able to recognize uh, which is very classic with papillary necrosis and here's a nice example again this case does show you the importance of wide windows it's very easy to miss things without wide windows again look nicely at the multiple sites of papillary necrosis in both kidneys central erosion of papilla is known as the medullary type and the other type and this may have a ball on tree or a golf ball on a t type appearance is probably the more common description now with papillary necrosis you may also see abscess formation here marked deformity of the calyces you can see marked deformity of the uh, tips of the calyces as well as more into the pelvis patients may have multiple prior urinary tract infections so it's a whole spectrum of disease you may even see it go this far we have a sloth papilla very nicely as a filling defect the biggest challenge to me in the sloth papilla is that it can simulate a carcinoma so it indeed is somewhat of a challenge uh, in papillary type of papillary necrosis the entire papilla may become necrotic and slough and has this lobster claw appearance very nicely drawn on the schematic diagram. We talk about other things that can involve the calyces. Tuberculosis is one of them. Classic thing, um, genitourinary TB accounts for about 20% of tuberculous infections outside the lungs. It results from hematogenous seeding of bacilla in the glomerular and peritubular capillary bed. Regional spread uh, results in seeding of the urinary uh, renal pelvis, ureters and bladder can be multifocal. Looks often like a stricture, can be very difficult to distinguish from a carcinoma, particularly if it's single phase or single point of involvement. Sometimes you see calcifications. Other times you'll see other organ involvement beyond the kidney and particularly when patients have disseminated tuberculosis. I'll mention one last thing that can be a challenge. Calyceal diverticulum are typically congenital abnormalities, and sometimes they're very easy to see. They're well opacified with contrast. They can have stone disease. They can lead to infection. Uh, occasionally, we've seen malignancies in larger calyceal diverticulum. The big challenge is not to confuse calyceal diverticulum with an abscess or blunted calyx due to papillary necrosis or other infection or other tumor. And here's just a nice example of type one and type two, uh, calyceal diverticulum. And again, a very nice example on CT. Sometimes the calyceal diverticulum on the early scans will not fill in. It can be a challenge sometimes. Sometimes it takes several days to fill in, other times simply several hours. It's important to think about that and not to call something a mass if you called it a cyst and it was a diverticulum, well, life goes on. It's not a problem. The diverticulum can become more infected. The thing is not to confuse it with a neoplasm. So summarizing then, CTRography is the current modality of choice for the evaluation of, patent, of the patient with gross and micros or microscopic hematuria. 
it's part of the CT examination. Obviously, we're doing arterial phase and often venous phase imaging, looking for renal cell carcinomas. This is to look at the calyces, look at the possibility of tumor, look at the possibility of infection. We spoke about technique, the importance of wide windows to be able to see the calyces, the importance about reconstruction, both in 2D and 3D, and noting that the coronal plane in 2D and 3D is essential for looking at many of the subtle changes in the pelvocalceal anatomy and to help with differential diagnosis. And with that, I'll thank you for your attention and see you next time. Bye.